0: Please open to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we'll be in, theoretically, you know, like, we'll be in some verses. Let's start at verse 12, somewhere in there. Verse 12. <laughs> While you're turning there, the, the reoccurring theme. The reoccurring theme in the past few chapters has been Peter's exhortation for us as believers. To live such good lives among Non-believers that though they accuse us of doing wrong, that they would see our good works and glorify God on the day He visits us. In other words, that Christians are really Christians, like Peter, uh, Peter, like uh, uh, Pastor Arthur said a couple weeks ago, that we actually live like it, you know. And Peter's speaking to a people who are um, were saved and they were given the sure hope of eternal life, and who are now living among people in 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 situations that where they were absolutely hostile to Christianity, and it was becoming increasingly so to where they would lose their lives, they would lose their property. If they, many have already have experienced that, and they would lose their kids, they would lose all these things, and. And this is a group that's just facing increasing persecution. So Peter is saying, hey, your circumstances may be difficult, but you have an unshakable salvation. You have something that can't be taken from you, can't be torn from you, and now live like it. That's your hope. You have a living hope. Don't repay evil for evil. They're going to be evil. Expect it. Don't, Don't revile when they revile you. Don't do that. Don't give, repackage evil and give it back. You've been born again. You're God's redeemed children now, so repay evil with good. When they insult you, bless them. That's the kingdom we've been born into. Why? Because we're inheriting a blessing. There's nothing that they can do to shake that. Christ has done it, and it's ours And so when we're attacked, when we're reviled, whenever it might be, not for our stupid conduct, but for our godly conduct, know in your heart of hearts, even though it might hurt temporarily, although you might suffer temporarily, live in light of eternity. Live out the gospel now because that is your witness to a world that is being shaken and will be shaken to its core. And so this is who Peter's speaking to. And this is the context that uh, Peter's talking. It's not always, you know, the highest highs. I mean, the New Testament's saying we're down a narrow path, and the end is coming, Christ is returning, judgment is coming, and the only way out is through Jesus Christ. And that invitation is open to anyone who would repent and believe. And the way that Christ set it up, the way that God set it up, is that that message would be relayed through those whom he has redeemed and those he has pardoned. And so isn't that a great privilege that we have? That's the church. And so Peter says in verse 13, he says you live lives that show Christ basically to the world around you, even if you suffer, even if you suffer. He says in verse 13, so who's going to harm you if if you're eager to to do good? You know, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Don't fear their threats, don't be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And that is what is required to live a godly, Christ-exalting, God-glorifying life in this age, is to revere Christ. Christ is Lord, to sanctify, to set apart, to put Him where He actually is, to recognize that and to live in accordance no matter what's happening around you, that He's on the throne of your life. He's Lord, and we spoke about that last week. Because like our brothers and sisters in Peter's day, the unbelieving world's default position is Christ-rejecting. That is the default position of every single human being. It is Christ-rejecting when it comes down to it. Now, that doesn't mean they don't tolerate, but when it comes down to it, when it says, when Christ comes and says that all men must repent, they're under the judgment of God, and that I have made my, my life as a sacrifice on your behalf, and, and, and through faith in me, I will forgive you, and I will make you new, and I rose again, and, and you'll have new life through me. That, that is the gospel, the hope of a changed person in eternal life by the grace of God. But you must repent, you must believe. The world rejects that wholeheartedly. They say, nope, I'm good enough, or I've got my own way, or whatever it might be. Every other religion, every other philosophy is always man ascending. But true Christianity, what Jesus came and taught is that you can't ascend Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Christ descended, that we might be raised up. That's the gospel. Totally different than anything else. And when you run into a pastor or a church or a system that says, here's the things you have to do in order to attain, you know right away that is a false system. That's false religion. But when you run into the teaching that says, Christ is everything, and you've been changed because of him, and you believe in him, now express your life in this way. That's not false religion, that's worship. Now I sing to him, now I give. Now I hang out with brothers and sisters. Now I go and preach the gospel and lay down my life and love and good works and all those things. Why, so that I can attain? No, because he attained it for me, because I love him. It's worship. It's a difference between us and the world. And so Peter's saying, Who's going to harm you? Revere Christ as Lord. And Jesus is just rejected by the world. That is the default position. Realize that. Weren't you at one time Christ rejecting? I mean, you might like grow up in a Christian family, but when it really came down to it in your own heart of hearts, is He Lord? No. I'll be a Christian in name only. <laughs> but when it comes down to my heart and my life, everything being surrendered to his will, maybe not. And so this is, and, and this, these, this, this is what Christ came into the world to do, to expose us and then to redeem us. It says in John, it says in John chapter three, verse 19, it says this is the verdict. Light has come into the world that people loved Darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. The light is Jesus. He came into the world. But people loved the darkness instead of the light. And so there's that idiom they're using to describe the human heart and condition. When it comes down to it, I want my world, my kingdom. And then Jesus, again, speaking later to his disciples in John 15, 18, he said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, right? Right? It hated me first. It rejected the light first. My light is now in you. Guess who they're going to reject? You if you're shining my light. Amen? They're they're, they're not going to like it. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? And so Peter says, don't worry about their threats. Don't fear them. Instead, revere Christ as Lord. They're going to reject. They're going to hate. And they're going to despise the light. They love evil and love me and 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 adore me and and revere me as lord even to the point of suffering that's what he's talking to these people about are you willing to to suffer do you truly believe the gospel not only persecution from without but rejection of sin within that's even something else we'll get into but As we do, it's a powerful witness as we live those holy, pure, godly lives, as Christ molds that in us over time as we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit, becomes a witness to the lost around us, a witness of the gospel to a world full of lost men and women, of which we were all a part of, and totally just caught up in it all. And some will see the gospel in us, we'll see Christ in us. When they see Christ in us, they're going to start to ask questions or they're going to start to ridicule or whatever it might be when they see Christ in you. And this is where we pick up today in the latter half of verse 15. He says after all that, don't worry about that and stuff. He says, but always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So as we engage with non-believers, we are going to face questions. And Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer. Be ready to answer them. And now, I don't know about you, but one of the difficulties that I face, and I have faced, and I face weekly with you, by the way, is a lack of preparedness in communicating the truth. Communicating the Gospel and com- communicating the hope and actually speaking right now <coughs> <laughs> there are reasons behind that by the way, <laughs> but I have great anxiety. Anybody else have anxiety over that stuff you know i 've had it in the past because I knew I was saved, but I really didn 't know how to communicate what I truly believed and, and and so I, I had no clue how to answer people when they started asking questions, or I either came across too heavy-handed or too light, and all this type of stuff, and, and anybody else ever experienced that, and you just kind of get into the mind war going on? And, and the, things, the thing is, is, is that's how God set up evangelism. Isn't that wild? That's how he set it up. That's how he In other words, they see Christ in you and they either hate it or they're attracted to it or both because the Holy Spirit's working, whatever's happening. And they begin to ask questions or to ridicule or to sincerely seek out like Nicodemus or whatever it might be. And our role is to be overflowing with the Lord Jesus Christ, to be ready at any moment when that opportunity arises to share the hope that we have with them, to share the hope that we have in them. And so I can become overwhelmed by the f- fear of men, and I can have anxiety with people, um, and, and I'm going to think what they think of me, and I can put that on top, you know, uh, well, on top of that, there's the voice of the enemy that comes in and tells me what a goober I am and how, what a horrible job I just did at communicating the gospel to y'all every single, like Mondays are hard. It's hard because you just go, Oh man, I said that. You know, and all this kind of stuff. You're just like, oh, I could have done that better. And you know, there's there's just there's these things that we have to battle as as believers. And and if we never just surrender and obey, there'll never be fruit. <laughs> and that's how we that's how he calls us now. He says, like, lose your life for me. Are you willing to Bear under the ridicule and the fear and all these things because I'm your hope, I'm your joy. You love me more than you fear them. You revere me as Lord. And Do I hold that place in your heart, in your life? Are you willing to suffer it? And this is why you see in the book of Acts when believers like John and Peter, when they got whipped or beaten, they rejoiced, counting themselves worthy to suffer persecution on behalf of Jesus Christ. What an honor. Do we consider it an honor to be ridiculed by the world, not because we are being silly and and sharp and, and hardcore and all that stuff, but because of the light of Christ. Are we willing to consider that an honor, knowing that we will be richly rewarded? Or would we rather just not enter into that whatsoever, you know? And so... Peter gives us a clear command here. We are called to share Christ in a way that's peculiar. He says, right there, he says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. And so we are called as Christians to always prepare to give an answer to everyone. Right now, the Lord, through his word, is tasking each of us at Christ Community Fellowship in 2019 to be preppers. We're to be preppers. We're to be totally prepared to give an answer. Have you ever watched those prepper shows? I, I don't really too much, but I understand the concept. But there's people who like buy silos like old missile silos, and they they have their houses in the silos now, and so they live in this fortified bunker underground. They've got all this stuff, so if if whatever happens happens up here, they just seal off the rest of the world, and they can survive for, you know, years at a time underground, and I know some of you are preppers, and that's cool. I was a prepper um, because I lived in Southern California, and... (laughs) you're really just preparing to die is all it is. <laughs> waiting for the big one. And so we would have like, you know, the Costco water things, you know, that back then you didn't have the, you just had the plastic one gallon jugs. So you just have them lined up everywhere, you know, cause you were ready. Cause let's just say when the quake happens, you're not drinking water forever. And uh, you know, so we'd have basically a little store in our garage, you know, ready to, we were ready for anything. But those type of people, they're prepping out of fear. They're prepping out of fear. We're not prepping out of fear. We're prepping out of opportunity. We're prepping out of our t- opportunity. And, and I know there's a little bit of mix. It's like, okay, if they ask me this question, there's a little fear involved, and I don't want to deny that. But the mentality that he wants us to have is we're going to suffer, but we're going to be ready to give an answer. We just can't wait to tell people about Jesus when they ask. That's, that's how we want to be. That's the, the heart that's overflowing. In other words, just can't wait to give away life and truth. Amen? And and that's the heart that we have. I, you know, I, we're right now, the Chargers are probably slaughtering the Patriots. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I, I really enjoy about watching football, and um, I've watched more this year because my team wa- is winning, which is sad. It's kind of it's an idol. Um confessing to you right now. <laughs> yeah, so what happens is Is I watch these commentators, and and they just have a, they're ready with a narrative. You know, as in between the plays, in between the breaks, in between whatever, they'll start talking about the quarterback, they'll, they'll start explaining the backgrounds, and they're just ready at any moment to start to insert some kind of story, some kind of color. They know everybody's name, they know a little bit about where they came from, the background, they know, like, the tragedies that happen in each person's life and all this type of stuff. They're just waiting for an opportunity to start to paint a picture to make it more interesting for everybody else. I find that interesting. They're prepared. In addition to that, you think of like the quarterbacks. There, there's, there's the second string quarterback. The first string quarterback is always playing all the time. One thing I love about F- Philip Rivers, he hasn't missed a game since 2008 or 6. He played with a torn ACL, and it's like, oh, that's so amazing, all that stuff. But I mean, he's just constant. I would hate to be the second string quarterback on that team, whoever you are. I don't even know his name. Hope to not know it. But I tell you what that guy's doing he's prepared. He is just waiting to jump in, you know, secretly hoping that he tears another ACL. But I mean, whatever it is, he's going to jump in there, right? And he's going to be like, "Boom, this is my moment. I'm prepared. I'm ready." He's not going to get in there and they hike the ball and hits him on the forehead and he's handing off to the wrong team like they normally do. But I'm just saying that's what they're ready to go. And we as Christians Are to be prepared to give an answer to always prepared to give an answer to everyone, always and everyone for the hope that we have. The word for answer there, give an answer in verse 15, it's the Greek word apologia, which is where we get the English word for apologetics. Have you guys ever heard of apologetics? Defending the faith. And that's kind of where that word is. Which is the word defense? How many of your Bibles has it translated defense? How many of yours has it translated answers? Yes. You're to answer. It's a reasonable answer. You're to to give a defense of the faith. You're to give an answer for the hope. You're to defend and you're to answer. And that's kind of what that word means there. We're always to be prepared to give an answer or a defense to everyone and anyone. And so notice what we are giving a defense and an answer for. What is it? To give the reason for the the hope. We're defending and we're answering regarding what? The hope that you have. Peter's referring back when he says that, back to chapter 1, in the very beginning. He says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ the dead. That's what Peter's referring to. You are, you are waiting to share the hope, the gospel that you have with people when they ask. We have to know what we're defending, church. We have to know what we're answering about. We aren't defending a political ideology or defending constitutional arguments. Followers of Jesus Christ are prepared to give an answer for the hope. I don't care if people are won over to a political party or an ideology and they go to hell. I want them to know Jesus Christ and then all that kind of stuff gets sorted out as you look at the king and see what his heart would do. That's hard, I know. And I'm a zealous American. But we share and we defend the gospel, church. The sure hope of an unshakable kingdom that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ, that we have an absolute peace with God through Jesus Christ. God's wrath was appeased on the cross for those who repent and believe. We have that new hope, that new life, the eternal life. We preach that everyone must repent and believe to be saved. They must turn from their sin and they must believe. And so this is what we articulate and this is what we defend. And as to issues that relate to the hope, we make our humble stand. And so when someone comes to me and talks about homosexuality or sexuality or transsexuality and all this stuff, It's about the hope. I defend the hope. Those things caused Christ, uh, caused God's wrath to come upon the earth. Same with pride. Same with lying. Same with whatever it is, all these types of things. They cause God's wrath. Why would I on earth ever celebrate that? It's not being mean to someone. It's Revering Christ as Lord and saying, that's not where my hope is, man. Oh, yeah. come with me. Out of the flames, towards Christ, repent and believe. That's why I make the stand on that. And somehow we get swept into what the culture's doing, you know? And, I, and I, I'm sure I am too in some ways, you know? Revere Christ as Lord. Repent, believe, live holy lives. Be willing to suffer, but don't fear. Revere Christ as Lord. And by the way, the context that Peter's been speaking about is again the living hope in this great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is the hope that people are to see in us. Not that we are so cool that we can relate to every single person on every single level and somehow we we buddy system into the kingdom. Churches take that approach. Christians take that approach and they compromise the holiness of God in their lives and the truth of the gospel. And let me say, when Isaiah saw and Gary, that was so awesome that you shared that last week, because that's ex- I was going to say something before that, and then you, you said it, I'm like, thank you, Lord, I didn't open my mouth. And Gary was sharing out of Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah is, is sees the Lord, he's in his throne, he's, he's in his throne room, and in his presence just levels Isaiah. He falls down as though dead, and if you go over to other things like in Ezekiel, and um, well, other places, and, and uh, Daniel, Daniel, uh, I, gosh, I, gosh, I wish I remembered all these things. But Revelation 1 and Revelation 4, there you can think, yeah, he knows something. All right, Revelation number 4. <laughs> and all those rooms describe in various ways about the, the throne room of God and His glory and the radiance and and just who He is and how holy He is. And when when the people, they when Isaiah or John or whoever sees God, they fall down as though dead in their hearts because God's holiness just radiates through them and it repels darkness. And people either fall in mercy or they recoil away. And this is what God says to Isaiah. What did he say to him? Isaiah first said what? Woe is to me, I'm undone. I'm dead. I'm a man of unclean lips and everybody around me has got trash coming out of their mouths. Their hearts are horrible. We're all doomed. For my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. And that's the holiness of God, church. And when you see the holiness of God, it shows you who you are. And you see, the church is to reflect the glory and the holiness and the radiance of God, not try to be so tied up with the world that they kind of buddy system into the thing we, in other words we are to be separate in the world but not of it and that, and, and by the way that there's a whole attitude that goes along with this as well and we'll get into that so I, I don't want to divorce that from the attitude that we have but It's when we see the holiness of God, we fall down and then God, so we confess that we're nothing and then God comes down and he he has an angel get the tongue out of the altar and he cleanses his lips and so God cleanses us when we confess who we truly are before him. And then what does he do with Isaiah? He says, oh, who will go for me? After Isaiah has confessed because he's been in contact with the holiness of God and that's what the Holy Spirit does, church. He convicts us of sin and of righteousness and the judgment to come. And that's a good thing on the earth. That is a good thing. We shouldn't ever back away from that because when the Holy Spirit does that, he points us to the cleansing to Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross and he bled out for you, for me. He agonized because he loved you and he took it all that you too could be cleansed. And when you repent and believe, you're cleansed. And this is what happens. Then God says, who will go for me? Who else was in the room? And there's that probably, who knows what's going on up there. But Isaiah's just sitting there. All this just happened to him. And then he says to Isaiah, who's gonna go for me? And whom shall I send? And I goes, yeah. Isaiah goes, me? And he goes, Great. I'm sending you to people who aren't going to listen to you. (laughs) They're just going to reject you the whole time, and you're going to suffer a whole bunch. And by the way, my son's going to go do the same thing. You're just a precursor. And his spirit is actually in you, proclaiming that right now. So what happens? God cleanses us, and he sends us into the world to go buddy up to the world no, to represent his holiness and who he is. And so the, the more close we are in relationship to Jesus, the more we shine the truth. And people are going to see that and they're going to start to ask questions. And we have to be ready to answer about the character and the holiness and the requirements of God and all these types of things about sin and justice and judgment and all these types of things. We need to be preppers. We need to know our God. We can't wait to relay that moment to them. We defend the hope, the hope that we have forgiveness. Do you see? That's what it is all about, not the hope that we've got a better life now. It's not a better life now in the sense that you're going to be rejected more by the world. So we share and defend the gospel, and that's important. But one of the important things that peter addresses is not just that we're ready to give the answer church and by the way are you ready get ready get in the word get into a life group start asking questions it's okay not to know it's okay church you don't know if you don't know you don't know don't pretend like you do that's the worst that's that it helps me a lot in my preaching when i just get to play like i don't know you guys go oh he doesn't know no we don't know let's go pray and find out don't pretend like i got this don't worry about that be authentic with one another even if you've been walking with the lord for a long time say listen guys i i've been walking with the lord for 20 years and i totally am paralyzed by fear and i do not know how to articulate the gospel and i haven't done it will you pray for me will you help me and then it's going to open up a conversation with everybody else that goes neither do i And then you're going to go to someone who actually does know how to do it, and they're called usually teachers or just people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, put in the body of Christ to help build you up. And then we go pray, and we go do it, we obey. And God, and you go, oh, man, I fumbled on the one-yard line. It's like, yeah, that's going to happen. Get up and go, next play, you know? But it's important not only that we have the answers, but listen. What does he say in verse 15, the end of verse 15? But do it with what? gentleness and respect keeping a clear consciousness of those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed at their slander and so along with prepping the answer must be what prepping our what our hearts prep our hearts that we aren't just fact machines that we aren't just spitting out history to people or dates and figures or doctrine and all this type of stuff without caring about the person we're speaking to. Amen? I don't know, I I go back and forth on that. So, not only will our response honor the Lord as we communicate the truth of our gospel, but also the manner in which we speak, and that's important. Amen? We've got to be able to speak the way Sadly, there are many who like to defend the gospel, who win arguments, but do it in a way that is combative and demeaning, and I can do that, because I'm passionate, and I've got bunches of excuses, so Lord, he works on people, you know, because I'm right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right? No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, anybody else like that? You get Feisty? God doesn't call us to be feisty. He calls us to be what? Gentle. Calls us to do it with respect. That's hard to do. But that's what Jesus did. That doesn't mean you don't speak the truth in love and you're firm about things. But you don't do it in a way that's crushing to someone's spirit and disparaging about what they're doing. And by the way, I have no problem with addressing sin. Yes, that is sin. Yes, you're going to go to hell, but guess what? Man, God loves you, and he's provided a way out, and this is the way. So don't be wishy-washy on stuff. Be true. By the way, use wisdom in those conversations. It might not be the, you know, be led by the Holy Spirit is what I'm saying. You know, uh, so make sure that you have that heart that the way we communicate the truth is, more, is, is, is important. I would say more important. The way we communicate truth is important because we're not communicating an ideology. We are not communicating an ideology. We are representing. We are representing <coughs> the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're not trying to get people to get to a side. We're representing a person. And it's him and how we say things and what we do is very important, because we represent his character. The gospel is a full package, amen? I don't know about you, but man, I can be feisty, and sometimes I win an argument, but afterwards I said all the right things and I can walk away my heart convicts me. Anybody else have that going on? Yeah, don't deny that. Be aware of that when you're sharing with people. Be sensitive to the Lord. So, oh Lord, I blew it, and be humble before the person. You know, man, I, I know I was I, I was communicating what I thought I believed, but I didn't do it in a way that respected you, and I I apologize. Would you forgive me? Yeah. Well, you're wrong. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but I care about you. You know what I mean? Love. And love doesn't always mean compromise on the on the truth, right? It doesn't mean that. And so, that's why Peter says in verse 16, keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, don't give them reason to doubt. Don't let their slander have merit. Right? Don't blow your witness by your attitude. Let your words and attitude be in step with the Lord who himself was gentle and humble of heart. And so, do good. Be ready to share when you do uh, Do it in the keeping with the Lord's character. Verse 17, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Is there a reoccurring word here that happens a lot? Suffer, suffer, suffer. That's the answer. And now it is verse 18. He's going to go on, and Peter begins to explain an example of how we should suffer in doing good by, uh, in the glory of God. So basically he's explaining how we should suffer, and here's our example. Verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to god he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit so jesus is our example he suffered for the unrighteous to bring the bring, he suffered in the body to bring the unrighteous to god and guess what our example is we suffer in the body to bring the unrighteous to god hello that's that's christianity we represent the lord now is the time to suffer to invite you to suffer with Christ as you deny yourself, lay down your life, and as people see Christ in you, you point them to to them. And then the glory happens. And so Jesus is our example. And if you look ahead to chapter 4, verse 1, flip over there real quickly. Chapter 4, verse 1, here's the bookends of everything he's trying to say. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, okay? So first, Christ suffered, and then at the end, in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says, therefore, because Christ suffered this way, arm yourself with the same mentality. Get mentally prepared to suffer for Christ. Are you ready to suffer, church? 2019, the year of suffering. Nah, I'm going to a different church. (laughs) I don't like that cross thing, but I sure like all the happy, good feel of things. This is what the apostles are talking about to people. What do you think we should be communicating? Isn't that cool? Well, kind of. It's true. But Peter's trying to expect get believers to expect suffering. And the first is to have that mindset to be done with sin and, 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 and uh, be dead to sin. Secondly, the mindset is to all be about God's will, to be alive to God, and so dead to sin, alive to God. And now in verses 19 through 22, and we'll speed through this, Peter is going to illustrate that, basically that principle of being dead to sin and alive to God. And you need to keep that in mind because Peter is gonna start to say stuff that's difficult to understand, but the big picture and attitude is that it's set on being dead to sin and alive to God, having a clear conscience towards the Lord. So now he starts to explain, he starts to illustrate, but here's the thing, is that we kind of don't understand what in the world he's saying. Remember I told you I don't know what I don't know? I don't know. And so here's what he says. Verse 19 through 20. He says, after being made alive, well, let me read in context, for, for, in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. He was made alive in the Spirit. Verse 19, and after being al- made alive, he, that is Jesus, went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, While the ark was being built, and in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. How many of you guys got that first take? Understand it? Good. Let's move on. (laughs) Now, what in the world is Peter talking about in verse 19? After being made alive, Christ went and proclaimed to the imprisoned spirits who were disobedient in the days of Noah. What does that mean? I want to tell you right off the bat, I don't know what you're talking about, Peter. But there are a few ideas, (laughs) which I'm going to share with you. But it's important to know that when you don't know something in the scriptures, get the context. And that's why I told you the first part was about suffering. And Christ is our example. Chapter 4, verse 1 is an example of suffering and put your minds in that way. And so what do you think the middle part's about? It's to illustrate all that, what that means. So let's quickly... Dig, the, dig into this. Verse 17, we know that verse 17 says, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than to doing evil. And again, the very next chapter, as I just said, it says in chapter four, verse one, therefore since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. So Peter's speaking about our suffering as Christians And it requires Christ's attitude, and this attitude comes by being made alive in the Spirit, being born again. That's the big picture. So Peter says in verse 19 that Jesus was made alive in the Spirit and preached to disobedient spirits in Noah's day. Now what does that mean that Jesus was made alive in the Spirit, and what did he proclaim, and where were the spirits proclaimed that he proclaimed to? Were they fallen spirits, or were they people? That's very interesting. These things aren't clear, but Peter doesn't say. So because it isn't clear, there are several views that, have, uh, that serious Bible scholars basically have. I'm only going to give you three. A guy named Dr. Thomas Schreiner gives us these three. But the first view is that Peter is describing the spirit of Christ in Noah, preaching to unbelieving world back then that was about to be judged by the flood. That's one view. We, we know this, this, this might be a really relevant view because Peter already said in chapter one, the spirit of Christ is in the prophets proclaiming things. And then we know in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse five, he calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And so if Peter himself, the author of the, of the book, is speaking about Noah in this way, it's quite possible that Peter is saying that the spirit of Christ was in Noah preaching to disobedient people who were just about to get judged, okay? And he's relating it to us as being obedient people like Noah, preaching to unbelieving people who are about to be judged, okay? That's kind of one, one view. The second view is saying that Peter's speaking about the Old Testament saints who were liberated by Christ between his death and resurrection, that before Christ atoned for sin on the cross, Christians, or people who believed in in Christ, who had faith in Christ, were held in a place called Sheol, or hell. Um, Christians were held in paradise, and the other part was hell. There's like a compartment in the middle of the earth, or whatever it is. This kind of goes into Greek uh, view of things. And on one side was paradise, and the other side was Sheol. Do you remember that story Jesus told about Lazarus? He says, there's Lazarus on one side and on the other side, there's this, this other group of people and the guy on this side said, please give me some water and there's a big giant pit in between called the Abuso, the abyss and it can't get from one side to the other and this guy's screaming in agony and this person's like, I wish I could help, but I can't and, and, the, and there's a the whole story. So that's probably what he's talking about and that Christ who was made alive in the spirit was resurrected, came down and grabbed those people Out of there, brought them up to heaven, and that's thus Matthew chapter whatever it is, 27, when when all after his well, when he was resurrected, all that stuff, all the all the people started coming out from the dead and walking around in in Matthew's gospel and all that stuff. So some people think that's what he's talking about. That Christ went after his death down into the center, took those people out of paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise, took them out and brought them up to heaven, and now it's just hell in there. So that's that's one view. By the way, godly people believe all these things. I've taught some of them, and I'll switch around. <laughs> but in the third one, the third view is that Peter's speaking about Christ proclaiming judgment over the fallen angels who disobeyed in Genesis chapter 6, because he connects it to Genesis when Peter's speaking. In other words, uh, when Fallen angels left what they were supposed to be doing, came down and intermarried with the women, and had super kids, which became the race of giants, the Nephilim. That's what Genesis 6 talks about. That's why the flood came and wiped out the earth, because you had the pollution of the human gene pool, and it's all about Christ and his lineage. And so uh, what he's saying is that when Christ died on the cross, He had victory. He went down to where those angels are held in the Abuso, the bottomless pit, and he proclaimed judgment over them, and then he ascended again. Great people believe that as well, like John MacArthur and others like that. So I'm just saying there's a a lot of great names associated with all three of those views. Now, I have held position two, and I also lean towards position one, and heck, I like position three. (laughs) And so... (coughs) It isn't clear. If you, lie, if you have that many great people who have been in the Bible, it's just not clear. But the context is verse 20. Uh, verse twenty. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, and it only a few people in all, eight were saved through water. Christ preached to the disobedient. Now the context is that God waited patiently, waiting for people to repent while the ark was being built, but only eight people were saved. Noah and his family were the only ones saved. And Peter says they were saved through water. The floods came and killed everybody but Noah and his family. They were saved by being in the ark. They were saved through water, so to speak. And now Peter tells us what that water symbolizes. You've got to follow me for a second, okay? Verse 21, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Oh, let's go to the next level of what are you talking about, Peter. <laughs> and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. So does b- baptism save you? What's the answer, church? What? What? but it says that it saves you. What does Peter continue to say? Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear what? Conscience towards God. Circle that word conscience. Go to chapter four, verse one. It says, arm yourself with the same mindset as Christ. He's talking about this life in the spirit. We'll come back real quickly. So Peter says that Noah was saved through water. That just like Noah was saved through water, so we are. That was a symbol. We have a reality. Old Testament is full of symbols that point to a New Testament reality. The Sabbath rest points to the rest we have in Christ. All these types of things that go on. And then, but Peter makes this clear. The baptism that saves us is not through H2O. How many of you have been water baptized? That did not save you. But the baptism of the Spirit of God does. And even that requires explanation. In Luke 3, 3.16, John the Baptist said of Jesus, I baptize you, well he said to the people, he's speaking about Jesus, says, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming Straps of whose sandals I am not, unwo- not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What's this baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is that? This is what Peter's talking about. John says it isn't the water of baptism that saves you. What is it? It's when Jesus baptizes you in the Spirit. What is that? Peter makes it clear. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God, meaning that when we repent or turn from our sin to believe in Christ, that is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and of the judgment of God and of righteousness. And when the Spirit convicts a person and they cry out to God and they say, forgive me, I've got nothing. Christ's blood cleanses you of all unrighteousness. You have a clear conscience before God. You're born again. Praise the Lord. You have new life. Praise God. Shout for joy. Hallelujah. That's your new life. All those, go for it. Get charismatic. Yay. You have a clear conscience towards God. We've been forgiven. It's the water that saves us, not the H2O, H2O, but by the Spirit of God. And Peter says about the water at the end of verse 21, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers with submission to Him. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead church, He is ascended and He now has power over death and He's been raised in the Spirit. And so, are we raised to new life through the resurrection. We have a clean conscience towards God. We are those who are dead to sin and alive to Christ. We suffer now that we, like Christ, might draw people to Christ and glorify God. In chapter four, verse one and two, sums it up. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body arm yourself church with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin as a result they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires but rather for the will of God so church arm yourself with that same attitude suffer well We have a clean conscience towards God. We no longer are slaves to sin, but rather sons and daughters of righteousness. Now, some of us have fallen back. The answer is the same, repent. Repent, turn, and let the blood of Jesus Christ restore the joy of your salvation. we're no longer slaves of sin but rather the sons and daughters of righteousness I pray that we would revere Christ as Lord in our hearts and that we may be a holy people in practice that we may be alive in the spirit and there's so much there church we have a cleansed conscience because we've been forgiven total absolute forgiveness offered by Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, you're actually hearing the gospel for the first time. You're going, whoa, I didn't know that's what it was. That Jesus came to die in my place, to make me brand new, to give me a new heart. If that's you, call out to the Lord this morning. Repent, cry to him. Ask him to give you a new heart. By the way, he will do it gladly and freely and with so much joy. May we be alive in the spirit church, bearing under suffering, living to glorify God in our attitudes and actions and be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We love you and we ask that many, many people would come to know you by using us broken vessels that have been loved and filled with your spirit. May your power overshadow us and fill us and fill our sails as we move out this week. I just want to thank you so much for the cleansing flood of Jesus Christ that his blood cleanses of all sin. And now, Lord, we have a life to live for you. And Lord, so we embrace suffering as you did. And we come to you now and we go in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen.